so welcome to whenever and wherever you're watching from. If you don't know this, you have five days until Christmas. I know that means nothing for you unless you're like an Amazon shopper because I don't know if they're promising to get to you in a couple days or not. But what that means is we are four days away from our Christmas Eve get-together, extravaganza, whatever people want to call it. And so it's this whole outdoor event on Thursday night, 6 p.m. Show up. We're going to have traditional Christmas carol singing That means you singing out loud with the band that's playing with you. Uh, We've got these little postcards that we're handing out to people to invite people to come to it. There's a light walk display. Uh, The Crave food truck is going to be here. And when we say food, that really means donuts, which is is food. So we got the Crave food truck with coffee and hot chocolate. There's going to be a photo station. You can be socially distanced, uh, walk through all the lights. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We even have a little present for everybody that shows up, but you'll have to show up in order to get it unless you ask me really nicely. But you should show up to get it. 6 p.m. this Thursday night, Christmas Eve. We're going to celebrate because we can't celebrate like normal, so we're going to celebrate anyway. Uh, Just, you know, Christ's birth being celebrated and the great grace that he has shown by coming into the world. Now, uh, in the middle of the sermon, don't forget, I'm going to put up a slide. There's going to be a couple questions on that. And what that question is going to do is give you time to take care of your kids, get some coffee, pause it if you're watching with other people, ask one another that question to go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smart device, you can download this app called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. If you're in our local area, we'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. If you're not in our local area, type in 93455 and then you will come up and you'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that we're going to go through today. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. And if you are so inclined where you are, you can stand with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, This is John 20, verses 21 and 22. It says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today we ask that you would have us begin to understand what it means to truly live and walk with and in your spirit, that we would be filled in such a way that how we live in this world is so grounded in who you are that we can do anything but be your witnesses to those around us and that you would be greatly glorified as we live in the joy and the love that relationship with your spirit and you brings to our lives. Amen. All right, so this is week six of our trek through looking at the Holy Spirit. You got two more after this week. We are affectionately calling the series the third wheel because so often that's how we treat the Holy Spirit. Like that third wheel, you invited a friend over and your friend brought a friend and you don't really know him. Do you talk to him? Do you let him sit there? It can be kind of awkward at times. That's how we kind of feel about the Spirit. Like the Father and Son, we think are readily knowable, but we don't know much about the Spirit. So we've been trying to walk through all these things about who the Spirit actually is and what He does in our lives. And I was thinking about coming up to Christmas, what I wanted to talk to you guys about before we hit that Christmas holiday. And I think what I want to do is talk to you about Jesus, obviously, because we're element, but how Jesus lived in the Spirit and what that meant for Him in His life. Like when we say, what does a life full of the Holy Spirit actually look like? Well, it looks just like Jesus. Uh, Today is hopefully going to be practical. I'm going to throw a lot of stuff at you. Hopefully something's going to stick throughout this, but you can open your Bibles to John chapter 14. 
one of the important things to remember is that in Luke chapter 4, before Jesus does anything, you see that he is full of the Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, that looks to look like, like John chapter 14. Now, John 14 is something we looked at a couple of times now, but in John 14, Jesus starts speaking about the Spirit in our lives and in the world. And it's not linear. Like in America, we love ABC. We like things to go like that, but this is written in a rabbinical context. So Jesus is going to say something, then he's going to say something else, then say something new, and then go back to something he said, then say something else that's new, and go back to something else, and it kind of jumps around. And our brains don't like that, but the, the Middle Eastern people in this time, they love this type of teaching. So let me just read this to you. This is John 14 verses 15 through 21 out of the NIV. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey what I command and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And that word counselor is advocate, helper. It's that Greek word paraclete. We've talked about this multiple times. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See, it kind of jumps around a little bit. gets confusing for us. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now, without getting too redundant in this, you see a few things of how Jesus lives his life. First off, you see that Jesus has a generous relationship with the Father. He says, I will ask and he will give. The second thing is this relationship with the Father is marked by deep trust because when Jesus asks, he knows that the Father will give. The third thing is Jesus has this intimacy, this connection, this union with the Father. I'm in my Father. My Father is in me. In John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the fourth thing you see is that Jesus has the love of the Father. Verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. So Jesus has this generous relationship with the Father. It's deep trust. It is intimate union. Essentially, Jesus has a life that is so thoroughly saturated with the love of God that it affects everything about who he is. His inner life, his deep place, deep inside of him is saturated with the love of God. He is so full of the Spirit that everything for him is dictated by that relationship of that experience with God. Now, we are a people who have an inner mechanism inside of us, and many times that inner mechanism determines what the rest of our days are going to be like. Like we wake up and we'll say, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. And the rest of the day, we are just off. Or you meet somebody new and they rub you the wrong way. It's like, I'm never going to be friends with that guy because they just rub me the wrong way. Or you read a book or you watch a TV show that ends on a cliffhanger and all of a sudden you're just a little more irritable and cynical for no other reason than some fake thing that wasn't real affected you in some way. For Jesus, what you see is his inner life. The thing that affects him more than anything else is that feeling of the Spirit, his relationship with God. He is saturated with the love of God. He is so full of the Spirit, everything for him is dictated by that experience, this relationship with God. Now, for us, many times, we, our lives and how we live are dictated by a lot of different things around us. Uh, Elections, pandemics, how's it going to work out? We freak out about a lot of things. But what Jesus was is grounded in the love of God. 
And so in looking at Jesus being full of the Spirit, it shows a life where he doesn't feel like he is a victim or he's lacking anything. Deep in his spirit, his inmost place, he is never suspicious that God has ever shorted him, that God loves somebody else more than God loves him. He is filled with that Spirit. And that filling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, does not leave him feeling, F-E-E-L-I-N-G, like he will lack for anything. You will see Jesus say things like, of course God will take care of me. Of course he'll take care of you. What else would God do? This is why he says things like Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. You can only love your enemies if you are first so saturated with the love of God that you are in him and who he is and who he calls you to be. I mean, today, look at all the political debates that we have with one another. It's like we cannot come together on anything. We can't love one another if someone doesn't agree with us. The only way we love those around us is by first understanding God's great love for us. Jesus lived this way. And it was so important that his followers wrote it down because his followers thought it was important for us to also understand this. Uh, Matthew 6, 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet they can also fly down and find little worms and tiny little cracks. But yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not much more valuable than they? You are more valuable to God than, than a bird. In Matthew six thirty four, Jesus says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. See, this is a life that is so full of the Spirit of God that there's no anxiety about events that may or may not happen in the future. Nothing betrays the fundamental core of who Jesus is that is centered around the love of God. And that is what the filling of the Spirit brought into Jesus' life. Because what does the Spirit do? He writes the Scriptures. He reminds them of what the, us of what the Scriptures actually are. And what does that do? That centers us in who God is. And Jesus says, I will love you, you'll love me, you'll love one another, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, if you go to Galatians chapter 5, which we haven't looked at in this series, we're going to look at that in the next couple weeks, but the apostle says that the Spirit of God brings fruit into our lives. The foremost of those fruits, as the Spirit advocates and leads and counsels, as the foremost of that fruit is love. That's what Paul says. Now, love is misunderstood today as simply being nice or approving of what anybody wants to do. But we know that's not what love is, because what does the Holy Spirit do to us? The Holy Spirit comes and he cross-examines us and shows us the errors of our ways. And so love many times can show us the places where we are running the wrong direction. And so the Holy Spirit prosecutes, but then also advocates for us at the same time because he loves us. Now, what does love bring from the Spirit, according to Paul? Well, the Spirit produces love, and then out of that comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. How did Jesus live? Jesus lived just like that. The Spirit of God creates love in the child of God. Love for others, love for God, love for the truth of God's words. And when it says gentleness, gentleness does not mean afraid to speak the truth. It means that we speak the truth in gentleness, not with arrogance. And this does not mean that if you have a hard time being patient or joyful or peaceful that you don't have the Spirit of God because God takes us on a journey many times to hard places that grow us to understand better what peace and patience and joy actually is. I, many times we are people who I think don't understand the full workings of the Spirit until we've gone something, through something that's really hard. God does not magically transform us other than bringing us to life again. 
but he takes us through hard places to grow us. Now, uh, sometimes because Element tends to be a pretty casual church, we're theologically very conservative, but we are pretty casual in who we are. We have a logo, and it's got like four different things on the logo. And sometimes people have thought that we might be a four-square church and thinking that we're very charismatic, and and we're not a a four-square church. But when someone's trying to figure us out, they will typically ask me a question like, oh, is your church spirit-led or spirit-filled? And I'm always thinking in the back of my head, Well, I hope so, (laughs) because if the Spirit wasn't here, we wouldn't really uh, be a church. But what they're really asking is, do you speak in tongues? And I mentioned this before, because people have actually said to me when I've said, no, we're not a charismatic church, how they would define charismatic, not necessarily how I would. They would say, well, you teach well, but you could do so much better if you had the Spirit. They've actually said that, right? And so my first reaction is a little bit of irritation, because I don't respond in love. (laughs) I respond in sarcasm. That's my spiritual gift. Uh, anyway, and so, you know, when I go, how do you know I don't have it? Do I not have the right underwear on? I mean, what, 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 what does it look like when I talk about these things? And, and they say, well, do you speak in tongues? And I say, no, God didn't give me that gift. And they say, well, if you had the Holy Spirit, you would speak in tongues. And I would say, well, why is that? And they say, because that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. And my response is, I thought it was love, because it is love, because that's what it's supposed to be. And I think that many times in that I do respond in love because my sarcasm usually gets checked at that point and I love them and not just run people off. People have told me they think that I've actually in recent years gotten better with my humor on being less offensive, that I don't react as much and, and I listen more, that I even care more than I used to. And I don't think that they're just getting used to me. I think that the Spirit is actually moving me and changing me. That's the work of the Spirit. And guess what? He can move you and change you as well. The Spirit isn't known just by these you know, crazy utterances. He's known by the love that He draws us into, as He draws us into the character of who God is, as He leads and guides and shows us who He is. And I even think this word that we use called charismatic, and when it's defined correctly, I think that every church should be a little bit quote-unquote charismatic because we operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, The word charismatic comes from this Greek word called charismata, and it simply means gifts of grace. A charismatic is someone who should operate in the gifts of God's grace, the foremost of which is love. The foremost of which is love. Now, here's my question for the slide that we're going through. Uh, This is it. Before today, other than me explaining to you that the foremost gift of the Spirit is love, if someone asked you, what is the defining gift of the Holy Spirit, what would you have said? You know, how, how would you have defined this greatest gift that the Holy Spirit gives, obviously other than salvation and bring us into relationship with God? But what is that defining gift of the Spirit? What would you have said other than love up to this point? Okay, coming out of the idea of the Holy Spirit leading us into love, so often we misunderstand who Jesus is and how he did the things that he did. Like in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible teaches this thing called the kenosis, and it simply just means the emptying, that when Jesus was on this earth, he he essentially limited access to his godness, so to speak, for lack of a better word. Like, Jesus doesn't cease to be God, he just limited himself, meaning he's not sitting around in high school whenever someone's asking a question and knowing, I know the answers to all these questions. He's not a baby in the crib sitting there thinking about the differences between neutrons and quarks and particles and waves and he's in the crib he's thinking baby thoughts whatever those are I I need to eat and pee and that's it or in high school you know he's thinking sinless high school kid thoughts I know he didn't think that was possible but apparently it is he limited access to his godness now in Luke 2.52 it tells us Jesus grew in wisdom and stature well how does God grow in wisdom 
He limited himself and that access to that wisdom so he could grow as a man, which means if he played Little League, he had to learn how to bat and throw a ball and catch a ball. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36, that he doesn't even know the day or the hour of his return. Only the Father does. How could God not know something? Well, he limited himself. Now, we think of Jesus primarily today as the one who died as a substitute for our sins. Completely true. This is the gospel. But Jesus also lived 33 years before he was crucified and resurrected. And this is so important to what we talk through today. If Jesus limited access to his godness, how does he do what he did? How does he overcome sin? How does Jesus do miracles? How does he have such communion with the Father that he rests so deeply in that relationship? And the answer to that is the power of the Holy Spirit the relationship he had with the Spirit of God. And that's great news because that same power and person is also available to every single one of us. Uh, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, will actually draw these very interesting parallels between Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the church. I'll I'll just show you a couple. At Jesus' birth, uh, it comes through the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. When the church is born, the Holy Spirit overshadows these people in this upper room. Uh, Jesus' ministry begins at his baptism where the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form. The same thing really happens when the church is born in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit descends upon them. Uh, Jesus' first sermon in Luke 4 was about how the Spirit was upon him to preach freedom to the captives. Peter's very first sermon was about the Spirit's power upon the church to go out and testify about Jesus to bring freedom to the captives. In the book of Luke, Jesus gets sent out by the Spirit to travel into all these places to speak about the kingdom of God. And then what you see is the apostles, and so do we, get sent out with God's Spirit to go into the world to take the gospel about the kingdom of God everywhere. Luke draws all of these parallels and brings these together, that Jesus and the early church did all of these things like miracle and prophecy and preaching and enacting justice all through the power of the Spirit. But the main thing you see through that is this idea that the church and Jesus and the apostles and us as well are going to be filled with love and joy. I think when a church is filled with the Spirit, its services and its people are known by their love and their joy. And yes, there's meant to be places of solemn reflection and repentance and mourning, but the dominant motive is that love and that joy. See, the whole point is Jesus depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. And if he did, if he was living the life that is teaching us how to live, how much more should we? The way that Jesus overcame the world, the way that the apostles overcame the world, the way that we overcome the world. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Do you remember how we ended the book of Acts just six weeks ago? We didn't, right? Because the book of Acts really doesn't end. Paul's in prison. The gospel is still going forward. And too many Christians today are like, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's power was for those apostles back then, or maybe the weirdo charismatics today. But today we learn doctrine and memorize scripture, and, and we do small groups. Guys, to overlook the Spirit means we are overlooking what God is calling us into and how we are supposed to live. And yes, memorizing the scripture and Bible studies and gospel communities is intimately and ultimately important. But we must be a people who understand, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Christianity is not conformity to a moral code or just stuffing your head full of knowledge. Not that morals and knowledge are bad things, but it's really about the fellowship with God's spirit. Jesus depended on the power of the spirit. And if he did, how much more should we? 
J.D. Greer said two things that have always stuck with me about living in the power of the Spirit. The first one was this. He says, most of us depend upon the wrong source of power. Like we're trying to trust ourselves to morality or different things, you know, trying to give ourselves the power to get through things. But where do we really get the power to overcome sin and to live in true love? And how do we get the ability to forgive those who want to crucify us? By living in the power and the strength of God's Spirit. And what does that do? It leads us to love and to glorify God. All the way back in 1 Kings 18, there's this story where there's this prophet of God. His name is Elijah, and he is like the only one left that's worshiping God. And he's going to stand and take on all of these prophets of this God named Baal, like a couple hundred of them. And as this whole thing goes, God shows up, his spirit comes down, amazing things happen. And nobody sits there and goes, oh, look at Elijah. Look how great he is. Look how smart he is. Such a great speaker. Everybody starts to say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And we would rest in the power of God's spirit. That's what our lives are supposed to produce. It's not that people look at us and say, oh, look how great you are by the power of God's spirit in you. And we are only great because of what he's done. And we want people to look at our lives and say, wow, the Lord, he actually is God. God promises his spirit. The question is, will we live in him? And he says, the second thing is this. Some of us don't encounter the power of the spirit because we're not engaged in the mission of the spirit. Too often, people want to treat the Holy Spirit like he's an amulet or some magic charm that gives us good luck. Well, we talked about last week, the mission of the Spirit is witnessing to what Christ has done to rescue and save us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, great power. Why? So that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's why we receive power. Can I tell you what I don't see the Spirit doing a lot in Luke and Acts? He doesn't keep the church from difficulty. I mean, you don't see a whole lot in in the Bible where people are like, oh, I pulled up to the mall in my donkey and I got a great parking spot. Hashtag blessed. You just just don't see that. Because what you see in Acts is God parks Paul in prison. God parks Jesus on a cross in the gospel accounts. And I don't see him making a lot of people wealthy. Not that he can't do that. But the question I think really comes down to, do we want his power? And when we say that, a lot of people say, yeah, I really want the Holy Spirit's power in my life. But why do we want his power? Is it to really to be his witnesses in the world? Because that's why he gives it. Do we want to serve the church better, serve his kingdom better, glorify God, live on his mission in the world, live in a relationship with him? Or do we want it to make ourselves better and to serve ourselves? In James chapter 4, it says that you ask and do not receive because you ask with all these selfish motives. And you go back and again, look at Jesus' life and how he lived in the power of the Spirit and the love that that centers him on. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in this situation where he is tempted to prove to everybody who he is. And this is what he replies with in John 8, 14. He says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. See, Jesus here is in this situation and context where the standard human response for all of us would be, oh, you're questioning me? Don't you know who I am? Well, I'll show you. I'll prove myself. Get some water. I'll make some wine. Peter, chop that guy's ear off. I'll stick it back on his head. Every human fiber says, show them who you are. And yet Jesus just is like, no, I don't need to do that because I know who I am. The Holy Spirit and that power and that love so grounds Jesus that when we are tempted to prove ourselves, he is not shaken. And he doesn't feel the need to be anything other than who he is. That is a life full of the Spirit, living as his witnesses in the world.
In John 19, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is on trial, standing before a guy named Pilate. And Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It's kind of like, ooh, just kind of kung fu words back and forth, where we would probably start to stammer and beg, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, Jesus knows he doesn't have anything to prove. He doesn't expend all this energy trying to defend himself. Oh, that's right, Pilate, you just pushed it too far. You know, don't write checks, your body can't cash. He doesn't do that. He just stands back and said, you would have no power over me if we're not given to you from above. He is thoroughly saturated in the life and the love of God. In situations where we would freak out, where we don't know the beginning from the end, Jesus just has this deep trust and intimate, connected union with the Father. Jesus' deepest reality is the love of God, and that is absolute. And this then permeates his entire being. It affects every aspect of his life and everything that he does. What does he have? The love of God. And he knows that love because he is filled with the Spirit. And he wants to give that same spirit to us that we would live in relationship with the spirit of God that so drew Jesus into relationship with the Father. John 14, verses 25 to 27, Jesus says, All this I have spoken will still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When Jesus says these words, he is in the last week of his life. He's coming up to the crucifixion. He's going to be leaving them. And so he wants them to live in the same power and strength that he does. And if you're teaching someone how to do something and you never let them do that, they're never going to learn. If every time they get into a little bit of a bind, you step in, oh, I'll just take care of that. You do it for them. They're never going to learn. And so if you want to empower them to do what you do, at some point, your physical presence may actually prevent that empowerment unless you leave them to do it on their own. And so understanding living in the Spirit like Jesus did means that, yes, Christ is present with us through the Holy Spirit, but he has left us to the Holy Spirit because Jesus knows the Spirit is more than capable because that is how he himself lived. Jesus wants his followers to do what he does, to be his presence to the world. And I think many times if he would have stayed, it would have actually prevented that in a way. So he says, the Spirit is going to come. And he is going to enable you and empower you to be everything you need to be me to the world around you. He says, all I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. See, Jesus wants all of us, as his followers, to have that same inner life with God that he does. And what would that be like? For us as a people to really, truly start living that way, where that inner life with God would then translate into our outer lives so the whole world would know that we would be his witnesses to the world. Why the Spirit of God? So that the deepest parts of who we are be saturated with the love of God. Why? Because that will transform all we feel and do. Why? So God is glorified. Why? So that we would be his witnesses in the world. And, and not to end on a bummer, but Jesus also indicates that one of the reasons he sends the Spirit is it's going to get very difficult for his followers in, in the coming days and years and millennia. From church tradition, it is shown that almost all of these disciples slash apostles were martyred themselves, except for John. And that wasn't for lack of trying. He just wouldn't die every time they tried to kill him. And Jesus says it's going to get tough. Not, oh, you're going to have a bad day. He says it's going to get People are going to kill you thinking they're doing a service to God. It's like, so if I love you and obey you, do I get success and money and easy living? No, you might get crucified. Well, that doesn't sound like victorious Christian living. It sounds like painful Christian living. I thought Jesus was supposed to bless me. 
He does. He does by sending the Spirit. And we live in a relationship with the Spirit. And the Spirit will take us and grow us in a relationship with God, and He will use us to bless others. Because we will be a people who live in relationship with the Spirit of God, and we understand that deep love that God brings into our lives. A mark of the Holy Spirit is that we will continue to walk forward with God, even when everything looks like it's fallen apart around us. We will walk because of his strength and powering us. You look at Jesus. Jesus walks resolutely into the city of Jerusalem to the crucifixion because he was full of the Holy Spirit. The implication is that the Spirit's love deep in our bones fills us with this love of God that casts out all fears. And lastly, as I I wrap this up, I just want to show you one last implication of this, and that is the idea of truth. When we are so grounded in who God is, the Spirit leads us into truth. Jesus says, the Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. It's the, one of the Spirit's gifts and so grounding us in that love and that grace of God as we live out being as witnesses in the world is that when everyone around us has lost their minds, it seems like, the Spirit can still ground us because we are set in the love of God. We are set in who He is and who He calls us to be. And sometimes there will be new fads that come up or some new Christian book or movement of quote-unquote the Spirit. And sometimes you will sit back And it will just rub you the wrong way. And the Spirit will say, it is okay to resist because you know that life is not this way. And I think sometimes when people say, well, everyone's doing it, that's a good red flag right there and not to go do that same thing. The idea is that God has given us his Spirit who is a person to live and walk with us day by day. And I know it takes six to eight weeks to even talk about what that really means and looks like, but a life filled with God's Spirit is not enslaved to anything but the love and the relationship of God. And as believers, we have this all-embracing inner life which results in a relationship with God Himself. What the Spirit does in the end is so overwhelm the children of God that God's love for us becomes so great that we are saturated and reshaped to unselfishly love the world around us. And that is the only way that we will ever live in true and real life. And I think when we begin to listen to Him and walk with Him day by day, these things become natural and normal and right because it is. I think true peace and joy will never come to us when we're trying to run after things on our own. It only comes when we understand the beauty and the grace of the gospel. Christ's rescue of us, restoring us to relationship with God. And in that restored relationship, the Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. The same Spirit that indwelt Jesus, that He was in relationship with, that connected Him with the Father, is the same Spirit that also indwells us as believers today. And I would encourage you, if you are someone who has never trusted Christ with your life, you would do that today. And he, would re, he will renew you and restore you. This is what we talk about when we talk about this thing called communion that we like to do every week at Element, even when we don't gather. And you take like a cracker that's meant to remind us of Christ's body, and we break it because Christ's body was broken for us. And there's wine or grape juice. You can dip it in that or drink it. But it's a reminder of his blood that was shed for you and me. Jesus says you do these things in remembrance of him because it's a reminder of the gospel, of how God restores us to relationship with himself. And in that restored relationship, it's not just that we, oh, this is great. It's that God then sends his spirit to be with us, to lead us, to guide us. And we can be in relationship with God because of his spirit. And we can understand that we have such great intimacy and union with the Father because He is the one who has reached out to us. We can be a people who are firm 
and who we are in him. We do not need to be shaken. We do not be, need to be afraid of what's going to happen in the world in the next four, eight, twelve hundred years because we have a firm foundation who is Christ and the Holy Spirit leads us in those ways to listen to what Jesus said and to walk and follow him. And if you need prayer today, maybe you're in a place where you are wondering, how do I develop this relationship deeper with God's Spirit? We'll go back and listen to the first five weeks of this sermon series to see who he is. And then let us know because we'd love to pray with you. You know, put it on the side of the live stream or send an uh, email to prayer.element.org or connect.element.org. And we'd love to be able to get a hold of you and, and pray with you. You know, uh, grab some of the sermon notes. They're in the link tree that's attached to the message. And you can take some of those questions and talk to one another and ask one another these questions about the Spirit of God and love and how it infills and, and grounds us into who we are meant to be. And I think when we begin to understand that, we also understand the generosity of God and that God has so been generous with us that we then become a generous people. And if you would like to give, you can do that online. Um, you know, Element is, is, a, is a giving church as well because we want to make sure that people understand that as God has given to us, we give to others as well. Guys, let's be a people who are so grounded in who God calls us to be that when things come up that want to shake as we take a step back and realize our firm foundation that is in God himself that the Holy Spirit reminds us of day by day. Because God himself is good, he is our rescuer, and he has brought us to life through no act of our own, but simply through his good grace. Let's be a people who learn to rest in that great love because of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, I ask that you would take us as a people and you would remind us daily that we do have your spirit living in us. And so, spirit, we ask that you would remind us of who you are living in us. That we would listen to your guidance, that we would listen to the ways that you lead us uh, in understanding the scriptures better, the ways that we would understand how we're supposed to love others better, that we would understand your great love given to us so we would love others as well around us. Teach us to really and truly begin to be your hands and feet to this world around us that we would lift you up, that we would glorify you, and that we would understand that, yes, we do want your power in our lives, but we want that power in our lives so that we could be those who would be your witness, witnesses to this world, that we could show who you are, and that you would be lifted up, and that you would be the one who is glorified, and we would be the people who walk in your love and your joy and your hope and your grace, and that we would share that with those around us because you have first rescued and saved us. Teach us to truly be this spirit-led people. Have us be a spirit-filled church and a spirit-filled people in the ways that you actually fill us and use us and lead us. Have us be those who trust you in all things. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.